0: Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective 2020 on Vision Well as we do on a Monday it is always good to get some insight get some context where we're at at the start of a new week and what's happening with the political agenda in Australia Martin Isles back with us Hello Martin, welcome back to 2020 Good morning Neil, good to be with you Martin, in your role there, uh, the uh, National Director of the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, you're monitoring a lot of things. We like to get an update politically on a monday i imagine that you would have caught anthony albanese and laying out his labor manifesto speech on friday of course there's been some speculation as to whether that might be something something significant uh, you know un- interpreting some levels of unrest in the labor party what are your thoughts about anthony albanese and his speech Well, it may
1: potentially be a pretty clever tactic by Anthony Albanese, I think. You don't, uh, when you're in one of these big political parties, particularly if you're a government minister or a shadow minister in the opposition, you really don't rock the boat. Uh, You just don't. And you know that that's just a cardinal sin to go out there and say something which appears to contradict the leader or that just might make people talk. And for Anthony Albanese to do a speech where he lays out a manifesto for the government, uh, and where he appears, uh, gently, but appears even, even so gently is not acceptable either uh, under these circumstances, but appears to gently rebuke, uh, some of Bill Shorten's rhetoric around big business. Uh, where he's uh, proposing a more conciliatory approach. That is, you can't say that's a mistake. You just can't, because everybody in politics knows what that means. And the timing is interesting because we have by-elections coming up. And one of the things about these by-elections is that the outcome of them will be critical to the leadership of both parties uh, and will be critical to when the next federal election is. And I wonder whether Anthony Albanese is setting himself up uh, as a alternative to Bill Shorten, someone who doesn't think what Bill Shorten thinks about one of the key issues of the time, which is business tax and attitude to big business. And if the by-elections go very badly for Labor and there is a leadership spill, as some are saying, would happen, uh, Albanese might be just jostling himself into just the right position uh, to come in and take the job. So that's what most people in the political world are thinking this could be, and I'd say it's not a bad guess.
0: You mentioned the upcoming by-elections, and uh, there'll be a big focus on those. 28th of July, uh, the date set for those by-elections. Interesting, over the weekend, a new poll by Reachtel for the Australia Institute uh, this came out yesterday, showing that Labor's Susan Lamb had improved to a fifty-fifty two-party preferred result in Longman. That's the uh, that's the electorate in Queensland uh, from a fifty-two to forty-eight deficit earlier in June. Is there significant things happening? Do you think with the way that uh, polls might be suggesting that some of these by-election results may go uh, different to what everyone expects?
1: I actually think that people really are struggling to know how the by elections will go. They all tend to be within the two, you know, 52, 48, 50 50 on the sort of Longman one and Braden in Tasmania, and then there's Mayo as well in South Australia. Uh, it's all a fairly close run thing. Um, and I guess all the political uh, commentators and, 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 and political types are sitting back and looking, sort of biting their fingernails, because there's five sort of wild cards <laughs> and nobody really knows how some of them are going to fall. I think if the Liberals, if the government doesn't uh, pick up Longman in Queensland uh, and Braddon in Tasmania uh, at least, then uh, they are going to think that this has been a failure for them. Um, Mayo is a little bit more this way or that. If they picked up Mayo as well, they'd think it was an enormous success for them. Uh, and they would call, I think, if there's, I think there's a very strong chance they could call a federal election if they won those three seats because it would be seen as a massive tick of approval from the public, particularly on their tax plan, um, and Bill Shorten would all of a sudden be under pressure because Labour will have done really badly because they lost three of the five by-elections, and that's when this conversation we had a moment ago about Anthony Albanese becomes important. Albanese may indeed challenge for the leadership, but the government does not want to contest anyone other than Bill Shorten at a federal election, because they know that he is easiest for them to go up against. Uh, and so that's why Longman's so important, because it's one of those things, if the Liberal Party win it along with the other two, then the, that could mean that there's an election before the end of the year, or if they lose it, uh, then that could mean that um, that uh, they string the election out, and you know, it also has implications for Bill Shorten's leadership. So it's, it's an interesting time in politics. The next six months are going to mean a lot.
0: Just while we're on by-elections and we often talk about issues of freedom with you on a Monday morning and uh, discussing political agendas and such things and I know we're waiting for uh, some uh, level of government position on what's happening with religious freedom there is some suggestion that I hear uh, coming through that uh, that the government's not likely to even uh, suggest its position on religious freedom until after these by-elections uh, we've been waiting a long time but what are your thoughts about uh, timing-wise? We're not likely to hear anyone rock the boat before these elections happen on the 28th of July.
1: Uh, Neil, I think that's very likely uh, because the governments are loving what's going on right now, which is that it's getting what they call clear air. So they're able to prosecute their tax cut uh, policies, and there's not a whole lot else going on to steal the oxygen in the media. The media is actually reporting on their tax cut policies. They're getting you know, on the, on the screens to talk to people. Uh, they're getting their, their, their messages cutting through. If there was to be another, say, Barnaby Joyce saga, obviously that would ruin everything because their their plan would not be able to be prosecuted in the public square. Or if there was, for example, the release of a religious freedom review, uh, which is taken very badly by the public uh, or by sections of the public, that could drown out their, their agenda for these by-elections. So they're loving the clear air. And so therefore I think they will be doing pretty much nothing, but almost campaigning on tax cuts between now and the by-elections in late July. So I think there's a very strong chance, in fact almost certain, that they won't be releasing anything on religious freedom until August because they'll just want to run that as long as they can for the freedom, for the clear as it is bringing them.
0: Uh, Martin, uh, casting our vision overseas for just a moment uh, to the US, uh, they're experiencing some of the same concerns we've had in Australia here about about children and parents and uh, immigration processes. Uh, the US President Donald Trump, he's had a, a backflip and and uh, he's now uh, supporting the idea of not separating children from families. Uh, what are your thoughts on those developments there in, in, an, in a debate we've sort of had here? And so uh, interesting that uh, we've had a debate before the US on this type of issue.
1: Mm. Look, uh, I, as a baseline thing, uh, I, I, I think that absolutely... Uh, children should not be separated from their parents. I think the threshold for separating a child from their parent must be extremely high. I mean, I was aware of some cases in the Australian uh, situation back when the detention centres were full and so forth, um, where there were children who had been separated from parents because of uh, violent extremist tendencies of the parents and the genuine difficulty the government had uh, with trying to, uh, uh, justify, with, with, with trying to keep the parents, uh, in a safe and secure place, but wanting to give the children a better opportunity, uh, in a less, uh, uh, less difficult, uh, facility. But, you know, even that is, is tough. I mean, I think that the separation of kids from parents has just got to be an absolute last resort. And any policy area that does that, including immigration, I think needs serious attention. So uh, I'm glad for those developments in the U.S.
0: Let's cast a a bit of vision towards Queensland. Uh, They're reconsidering voluntary assisted suicide legislation. In fact, there's a lot of things on the agenda in Queensland and uh, plenty of ethical issues to discuss. But on this particular one, uh, you're familiar with some moves there to reconsider this sort of legislation.
1: Well, uh, Neil, I think you may be referring to what happened at the Liberal Party's Federal Council uh, last week, uh, which, uh, which passed a motion that the Liberal Party would have a policy at a federal level that no TGA-approved drugs can be used uh, for euthanasia purposes. Uh, so obviously, to euthanize someone, you need to prescribe a drug, uh, and they need to take it, and it will kill them. But uh, the drugs that we sell in Australia uh, are largely TGA-approved. Um, and those are the ones you get prescribed. But uh, the Liberal Party will not allow those approved drugs to be used for euthanasia. Now, um, that, that's, a, that's a great thing. It does show that there's a pushback um, and it shows that there's widespread concern on the issue. It doesn't quite stop euthanasia from happening, though, or euthanasia policies from being implemented, uh, because there are actually no drugs that are TGA-approved in Australia that are suitable for euthanasia anyway. Um, you can't, Nembutal is one of them, but it's only approved for use on animals in Australia, and there are no others that are TGA-approved. So what's happened in the Victorian situation, where they've actually legalised euthanasia, is that they've actually asked uh, a, a, a team at Deakin University to come up with a concoction of some kind, a drug, a substance that will do the job, but is not TGA-approved. Now, that means it's not been clinically tested. Uh, and it's not been subjected to the usual rigors of the drugs we take. And a lot of people will say, well, who cares? It's, it's sort of a lethal drug. I mean, how much testing can you, can you do? Or how, how wrong can it go to take a legal drug? But the answer is very wrong. Um, and there's been many, many documented cases with approved euthanasia drugs like nebutal overseas where people have taken the drug and it's had horrific side effects, uh, where they've fitted, where they've vomited, where they've gone through a very long and slow and painful death. Or in one case in, in Oregon, where a guy took it and woke up three days later and he wasn't dead. Um, and so, you know, you really need to have these things tested properly. And we're running into a situation now in Australia where the euthanasia legislation is getting ahead of the approval process uh, and is using unsafe drugs uh, to, to, to achieve its ends. But this, uh, this limitation on, on the TGA-approved stuff is, is a great thing because it just means that there will never be a TGA-approved drug Uh, uh, for euthanasia if uh, the Liberal Party uh, remain in federal government and adopt the policy.
0: Okay, it does sound complicated, uh, but sometimes these things need to be, and it sounds like a good uh, measure for what might slow some of the legislation that may be coming through the states. Uh, Let's talk Hobart for a few moments, Martin, because the dark mofo uh, festival uh, is, uh, is currently on. I think it's drawing to a close in uh, Hobart, an offshoot of Hobart's Museum of Old and New Art, uh, renowned for its controversial exhibits. And you've had your eye on a few of those.
1: Yes, yeah, so a few uh, of the listeners may have seen the controversy this year around the uh, erecting of inverted crosses on the Hobart foreshore, uh, which is taken by many as a satanic symbol uh, and an attack on Christianity. And those crosses were put up by this uh, festival, uh, which is uh, very uh, provocatively and unfortunately named Dark Mofo. Um, And that's been going on for a few years. And the festival is what they call a celebration of the dark. Uh, And it not only celebrates the darkness of, of, say, winter, but it also has very strong spiritual and and even satanic themes. Uh, So for those who haven't been following this, it uh, it is very, very popular in Tasmania and it really does uh, feature strongly uh, in the local news and and they put up these public displays which which are very provocative. I think one of the church leaders down there called it state-sanctioned blasphemy because it's government-funded and that's the great controversy here. Last year they had some satanic themes as well where they had the drinking of blood and the ritual slaughter of a bull and mock crucifixions and this kind of thing. It's pretty dark and nasty stuff as the name would actually suggest. And the guy who owns Mona, uh, Mona being the gallery that's behind this, has actually said that it's his goal to change Tasmania's culture within 10 years. Uh, and this is obviously a part of his efforts in that regard, a heavily satanic festival that's gaining more and more and more uh, traction down there. Of course, the issue is the government money. So uh, what I would say is that people who are listening should write to, and not just Tasmanians, because I think that's an element of of national concern, which could be whipped up, but they could write to the Tasmanian Premier, who's also the tourism minister and responsible for that funding, Will Hodgman, uh, and let him know that it's not appropriate and that the festival has gone too far with its art this time, particularly the offensiveness to the Christian community. Um, But also uh, the Hobart Lord Mayor, um, uh, Ron Christie, came out and said that he had deep concerns and he has obviously jurisdiction over where those crosses are erected people could also write to him and affirm what he's thinking uh, and give him a little bit more of a permission structure to go forward and take his own action against what's going on there. So it's a very dark thing. It's very, as the name suggests, it's very unfortunate. uh, And I think Christians should be very concerned about it.
0: And interestingly, you mentioned uh the Tasmanian Anglican Bishop Richard Condy mm. uh, suggesting state sanctioned blasphemy, and uh clearly there is this aim to provoke and offend, uh, but mm. it's done in the name of entertainment uh, but really I think uh you know your thoughts uh, just briefly here martin uh, that when you start to cross the line uh, in areas of uh, of satanic uh, issues, and as you mentioned last year, uh, you know, summoning Lucifer for black mass and all sorts of mm. uh, weird and and uh, and crazy sorts of things. Uh, these, th- these things need to be taken seriously, uh, and uh, certainly the image of Hobart and of all Tasmania perhaps is at risk because of the Dark Mofo Festival. What are your thoughts on that? Well,
1: I think there's two sides to it. The first one is as Christians, as you've indicated, Neil, uh, we know the truth about these matters. We know that it's not a joke. We know that it's not just art. Uh, we know that, uh, and probably the people behind it know that as well, um, if they are indeed uh, practicing in that, those kind of religious spaces. Um, so we know the truth of it, that it's actually dangerous, um, and that it's, it's exposing people who go to very dark forces. Um, and also, it is it is bad for Tasmania. It has to be. I mean, uh, uh, you have uh, one of these songs, opens up. Uh, it opens up with a line, Lucifer, I summon thee to my black mass. And that's what it's... That's what they're doing and that's what they're promoting. There's that side of it for Christians. We know the truth. We should be upset and we should actually try and do what we can to stop this because for the sake of our fellow uh, Australians, really. But the other side uh, of it is that the government shouldn't be funding things that single out a particular faith uh, for criticism or are uh, horrendously offensive to a particular faith. You can imagine that they would never erect on those poles on the Hobart foreshore uh, symbols that sort of pervert the Islamic the faith, the symbol of the Islamic faith, or the symbol of the Buddhist faith and so forth. They just wouldn't do that because it would be considered, in inverted commas, offensive to people of that faith. And when we live in a society where we ask for religious freedom, we ask to be respected as a group within a community uh, that is made up of many groups, and we all want to live together and work together, and we want to exist in harmony and peace, we want the government to treat everyone fairly and neutrally. And here they are funding a festival, that singles out a particular faith for abuse, criticism and, and and insult. And I think on the religious freedom grounds then, or on the grounds of the, the fact that shouldn't have play favourites and shouldn't criticise particular groups like that, we can argue to them to say, listen, you've got to stop just on that basis. It's not fair.
0: Well, it does seem to have a foothold. And so for Tasmanian listeners, uh, the challenge there is to uh, speak up and stand up for what you believe is happening in your state, and uh, for those of us around the nation who might not be in Tasmania but concerned that the image of Tasmania is being overtaken by this uh, level of uh, the idea of a satanic style festival uh, then uh, then perhaps there's a uh, a call to prayer uh, to be on your knees for brothers and sisters in Tasmania. Martin Iles, I know that there is uh, some uh, detail on the Australian Christian Lobby website and I'll point people there acl.org.au where you can get some details about what's been going on in Tasmania and on some of these other issues that we've been talking about today. ACL. Dot org dot au. Martin Iles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us again today on 2020.
1: Thank you, Neil. Always a pleasure.
0: Before you go, thanks for listening.
1: There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au.
0: And remember, Vision is listener supported.